This is a person to person. We're sitting in the library basement. We are. I just taught my final class, which you were in, and um, you're heading off to the real world in about a week and a half. Yep. I was thinking about, I graduated 25 years ago, and I was same as you. I was the editor of my student newspaper 25 years ago. And back then, you put out a newspaper, everyone read it. I've said this to you before. Like, you put out the University of Delaware Review twice a week, people picked it up. You didn't have piles of the paper sitting around because people read it. Journalism was a totally different field. You were going into it. You were going to get a job. You knew you'd get a job somewhere. There are newspapers hiring. Now that you're almost done, do you feel optimistic about journalism, or do you think you'd have to be crazy in 2019 to be a student going into journalism? I think it's a mixture of both because I am very optimistic about it because it's what I'm passionate about, and I know that especially this semester we've really like ratcheted up our coverage in terms of like being a little risky and kind of living on the edge a little bit more and I've definitely seen people like pick up the paper like sometimes I'll distribute and I'll see people pick it up right after I put it down or like take a picture of it and put it on their social media so I know that there's still some part of our society that that cares about seeing that printed word on the page and like getting their news in that medium but I also think that you have to have a lot more grit and determination than you might for a lot of other careers because nothing is really a guarantee and you have to care about it for a reason that's beyond what you're going to get paid or how famous you think you're going to get from the position. Like, it's not something that's going to get you fame and fortune. Right. You have to do it because you care about the product that you're putting out and you care about whatever specific field of journalism you're going into. I like that since it's pretty much done, I can throw some things at you. Like, there was a real debate this year, which we talked about, about whether um, to even continue with print. Because as I said, you walk around campus, you do see a lot of print papers and piles. And, and the question is, should you just go strictly digital? You were not a fan of going strictly digital. You thought you still needed a print presence. Why? I just think there's something to be said about the finality of print. Because I think that a lot of journalists might have the idea. Well, it's really easy to just like, if you mess something up, throw up a correction. And I think it's even easier to do that physically in the digital age. You can just edit you know, I know we use WordPress for the Panther, so if something is wrong, we just throw up like a quick couple sentence correction and it takes a few minutes. But if you mess up in print, it's a much more significant issue and a significant consequence. It's there forever. Um, And when you issue correction, it goes out in like the next week's printed edition. 
and it's a big deal. Right. And I think that there's just something very important about knowing that your words are going to be put in something that has that much finality and that much staying power. I still pick up issues of the Panther from like the early 2000s and stuff, which is not that long ago, but still, I still will go back through the archives and mm -hmm. look at them. I also think it's really important for journalists to know how to you know, lay out a paper. Um, there's a lot of moving parts that go into it, and I think that digital journalism is a lot more about cranking something out quickly and getting it online, but with layout, you have to think, you know, headlines, you have to think, graphic design, you have to think, how is this, how are we gonna get people to pick this up on the newsstand? And it's a lot more critical thinking and like a holistic stance on the story that you're taking. There's something really gratifying about like when you've done a really long form story or something that's a little bit more in depth, picking that edition of the paper up and, you know, being able to kind of see in front of you all the work that's gone into it. Right. Because it's very tangible, more tangible than like scrolling through a website. So how, um, I don't know if heated is the right word, but how intense was sort of the debate on the staff, whether to stop print or have fewer issues uh, printed during the year? A lot of people were really interested in creating an app. Um, but I think what kind of differentiates the Panther is that you kind of have to seek, like you have to seek it out. I mean, we tease our stuff on social media and we do the best that we can in that sense, but we're not like a notification on your phone. So if you want to read about something, to a certain extent, you have to go seek it out. And I think that's something that kind of is, I don't know, important in journalism today because you, we get inundated with notifications. And I think it's nice to know that people are, you know, reading our website because they've navigated to it on purpose and they want to read whatever they've clicked on as opposed to like receiving a push notification, mm -hmm. which even, you know, I'm a journalist. I love reading the news. It's like one of the best part of my morning, but even I get a little overwhelmed with like all the notifications. In terms of the debate, there were a lot of people that really wanted to switch to full digital. And I can't really speak to like the reasons why that was, but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that digital journalism is easier in a sense. And there is a lot of work that goes into putting out a student paper. We're there on Sundays from 11 a.m. to 1 or 2 in the morning. Things go through several rounds of copy edits. We're always tweaking stuff at the last minute. Nothing ever goes as quickly as you think it might. And there isn't that sense of like instant gratification that you might get by just pressing publish on something online. There's a lot of other external factors that go into it. Right. There are a few stories this year that were, were sort of biggies for you. Uh, the, mo the most recent one was there was a controversy because there was a poster for the, what year was the movie from? Birth of a Nation. 1915. 1915 with a lot of sort of racist elements in the film and the dot it's a dodd school which is a film school here had it up as a poster for no real reason just because it was a quote-unquote classic film it got a lot of people angry you get a story like that a lot of people are angry over a poster people think it's racist they think they should take it down the university is sort of hesitant to take it down as the editor of a student newspaper sort of how do you approach that kind of story i think it's very important not to take a stance in your head it's easy to see something and have a certain perspective on it. So I think that was something that, that was very important to us in covering the Birth of a Nation poster controversy was that we really wanted to make sure that all people's perspectives and opinions were given a platform on our website and in our paper. So we you know, solicited columns from people who agreed with keeping it up, from people who wanted it taken down. Uh, we covered the protests. We let you know, the president of the university run a column. 
explaining why he thought it should be kept up. All right, so that was an interesting one because I disagreed with that. I think a college newspaper is the voice of the students. I wasn't thrilled at seeing the university president get a sort of opinion piece in what should be your voice, but you disagree. I do because if you don't allow people on all sides of the issue to express how they feel about it or give their rationale, then the campus kind of becomes like this weird echo chamber. where it's just rumors and it's just, oh, Strupa said this in a statement, he emailed out this statement and he did X, Y, and Z and he's apparently he said this to one student, but I don't have the screenshot of the email. So it's just, there was a propensity for it to really get muddled and I thought it was really important for his words and what he truly thought, what his gut reaction to all this was, because this was really a couple of days after the controversy started, he sent it over and I knew that that was kind of really f- something that had just, when he wrote it, it was just something that had popped into his head. It, was, it wasn't like a really PR, wiped clean, mm-hmm. dry statement. It was kind of an impassioned opinion on why he believed it was really integral to campus learning, I guess, that we keep the poster up. Right. So I thought it was important for students to see that because it really solidified what they thought of him in, a lot of, in the minds of a lot of people I know. It, some of it, people had changed their opinions on Strupa, how they viewed him as a person. And I saw it got get recirculated in like several other media outlets, you know, quotes from that story because he really just kind of poured out his entire opinion. And I thought that was important to give him a platform to do so because otherwise people wouldn't really know what his perspective was. Did you find it hard as an editor to um, keep your opinion out of the way news is covered? You gotta get used to these tough questions if you're gonna work in journalism. Well, I'm usually the one asking them. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, like you have it, like I'm guessing you thought keeping that poster up was kind of silly or stupid or didn't really make any sense. So now you're guiding a newspaper that is covering an issue or the Koch brothers spending all this money and having obviously having an impact. The Koch mothers, brothers spent, how much was it? Five million on uh, a Chapman and then really seemed to want to have an impact with a conservative bent. Your newspaper covers these stories. You're the editor of the newspaper. Are you able to separate personal opinion from the way the newspaper covers stories? Yes. I think most people who know me would say that I'm like a very, or I can be very like cold and logical by the book, factual kind of person. I obviously have my opinion on things that I definitely talk about, but when it comes down to what's actually printed, it's so important to me that it be unbiased and present an unfiltered view of what's actually going on. I don't think it would be appropriate for the editor of a college paper to insert their opinion into anything that we cover, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, barring the editorial. I just don't think that's appropriate really for any journalist to do. And I know that there's been a lot of debate about that with, um, you know, coverage of the president and the words that are chosen in headlines. You know, some people think journalists are copping out by, you know, not using certain verbiage and stories and headlines. Like lie, not saying just Yeah, exactly. Right. But I and I think that there's merit to that criticism, but I also think it's it's so important that journalists try to use words that aren't loaded and language that isn't biased and just really present the facts as they are because otherwise it just becomes a little tabloidy. Do you think people, adults at Chapman take uh, the Panther and, you know, quote unquote, student journalists seriously? Do you feel like they they view you as they would the Orange County Register? Or do you think there's, is there ever, ever a sort of degrading 
almost like pat on the head, oh, it's a college journalist and they're doing their college thing. I think that a lot of adults on campus do have a different perspective when it comes to the Panther because at the end of the day, we are student journalists. And I'm sure that in 10 years, I'll look back and think about all the stupid editorial decisions I made and laugh at the stories I wrote and think about what I would have done differently if I had the experience that I had now. But I don't think it's degrading. I just think it's viewing us as a learning experience for students, which is really what it is. Yeah. It's. But are you able to see when I was when I was editor of my student newspaper, I was unable to keep that perspective in check. Like I took it super, super, super seriously. And we were going to go head to head with the Wilmington News Journal. And then I look back now and I'm like, I was kind of an idiot. Like, I mean, do you when you're in the, in the throes of it, do you feel like you were able to keep the perspective? All right, this is still a college newspaper and we're going to make mistakes. Yes, because I, I, I do get really passionate about the Panther and sometimes to a fault, I will defend it. Um, and, but I, I do get really excited when we, you know, will beat the Orange County Register on stories, which doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen sometimes. And that's very exciting because I still think of it as, oh, we're a college paper getting this, you know, this scoop or beating this story. And that's exciting to me. It's not that I think that we're on par with them. It's that in this one circumstance, we were. And that's something that I get a lot of joy out of because we are working with student journalists, limited resources, and if we can still get to the level of professional journalists at times, that's very gratifying to me in and of itself. I thought this year when um, you were in my class when Jeannie Buss came, the owner of the Lakers, and Luca Evans, who's a fresh, freshman sports writer for you guys, covered it, and then two days later, Magic Johnson quits, and Jeannie Buss isn't talking to anyone, and the New York Times and Yahoo is quoting the freaking Chapman Panther. I thought that was an amazing doesn't just get you kind of that kind of stuff has to do it for you. No? It is. It, it is amazing, but it's something that I view as an anomaly and not a regularity. Isn't that kind of what makes it cool, though? That's kind of what I was saying is it's, it's something that makes things exciting, but it doesn't inflate my sense of what the Panther really is. Mm-hmm. It gives us kind of inspiration to keep going and makes us feel like we were important for five seconds. Mm-hmm. But I think it's could be devastating to any student paper to have an editor that has the hubris to think that we're more important than we are because at the end of the day, our our job is to bring news to campus and if something is a more national story, we'll pick it up. If some organization picks up our reporting, it happens, but that's not like our end goal at the end of the day. What was your greatest moment from the year, journalistically? I remember I was at my internship when the news about the college admission scandal broke and I was looking at all these colleges in California that were involved in it, and I was like, man, a lot of people pay $60,000 a year to come to this school. What's stopping someone from paying to get their kid in? And so I opened up one of the indictments that was on the Department of Justice website, and it was one of those lovely PDFs where you can't command F. So I literally just like went outside on my lunch break and read through it, mm-hmm. and I saw Chapman's name, and I... That is the closest I've ever come to just like losing my shit. Like I was in the I was in this plaza just like, oh my god! And I texted our news group chat and was freaking out. And I just immediately hopped on a dock and just wrote up as much as I could muster uh-huh. in like a thirty minute period. And it was you know then it went up. 
Well, what was the next step? Like, what do you do? You see that, you tell, you let the news editors know this, holy shit, this is happening. So what's the next step? How do you go about it then? How do you chase it? Like, what were you doing? Well, I just was doing as much research as I could from where I was. So I was emailing the president for a statement. I was seeing if there were any other possible connections to the university besides this one father who had been indicted. I was looking at the charity website to see if there were any other Chapman students listed on them as giving testimonials, which there were. And just kind of, like I said, presenting the information in the most like level-headed, factual way possible, which was difficult because I was so excited. Right. It's like, in one hand, that's the funny duality of being a journalist because I obviously don't want the school that I'm about to be graduating from to be involved in a scandal. Mm-hmm. But as a journalist, I was so excited to be part of something that all these other large universities were part of because, you know, that story ended up getting like 12,000 views. And it was just a very exciting moment for me because I was like, wow, this is something that people really wanted to know and it really made an impact. Right. Do you know, can you, have you figured out or do you feel like now as you step away, you understand like for a student newspaper, what people want to read versus what they don't want to read or what makes a compelling story for a college newspaper versus what doesn't make a compelling story for a college paper? Yeah, I think when I started out, I was very much like, when I was the news editor, the stories that I would put on my budget would be like, you know, event in the piazza and student government meeting and blah, blah, blah. So-and-so speaker comes to Chapman. Yeah, speaker comes to Chapman. And it really took me a long time to figure out how to bring big stories to the paper and how to localize things because for some reason I had it in my head that things had to be very specific to Chapman in order for us to care and then what I realized is that there's a lot of ways to localize stories that you don't think of off the bat and give me an example sometimes I think I would almost ignore stories because I thought they were too big for the panther to cover I know that sounds weird but when I was news editor sometimes I would see stuff like I can't even think of an example but I would be like that's too big for us to even tackle with the resources that we have and this year has just been me thinking I'm just gonna go for it and I'm just gonna jump on it and you know the team that we've had this year it's been really easy because everyone's so dedicated and passionate about putting the panther on a bigger playing field and tackling these stories that you know, people might not think of. I mean, what's a national story that you guys took? Well, we get criticized for this sometimes, but we'll focus a lot on, like, what alumni are doing. Like, when... Another example is when there was that whole scandal in Newport Beach with that doctor and his girlfriend, um, like, allegedly drugging and raping all those women. Um, It was not reported anywhere that that person was a Chapman alumna, but we on a hunch just called the registrar's office and were like, hey, is there anybody who graduated by either of these names from this school? Turns Why would out, you even think to call and ask? Well, I just kind of started this year with a mindset like, I'm just going to chase stuff. And so if I see something local, I will do anything I can to figure out if there's any way I can localize it mm-hmm. to Chapman and to the Panther. And that was just a weird instance where it worked out. But we do that a lot. Well, I'll just, I'll see something on the news and I'll be like, you know, call the registrar, see if that person's a Chapman student. And sometimes it works out in a big way. Right. There's a thing earlier this year when a student group, I would say, I would not name anyone specifically, sort of ripped the Panther in an email we saw for being quote unquote fake news, right? Hashtag mm. fake news. And I think I was significantly more angry than you were. 
because I hate seeing that kind of nonsense flow to different levels and people start using the language in such a way that the same way that Trump uses it, where anything you disagree with or any coverage you don't like becomes fake news. And it infuriated me. Like, it actually infuriated me. When I saw that, I actually wanted to email the person. I was like, I can't do that. But um, I was upset. It didn't seem to bother you that much. Well, I think that sometimes I don't always show, like, exactly how I'm feeling all the time because I feel like it's part of my job to be very level-headed and calm. Mm. But, I mean, when people say stuff like that, it is obviously very frustrating because... I think it comes from a place of not understanding what it really is like to be a journalist and what that really does entail. And I think that there's just this misperception that journalists don't do their due diligence because you don't like the outcome of the story. Right. So if you don't like what a story finds and you don't like what an investigation uncovers, the gut reaction is to undercut it or discredit it because it doesn't fit into the worldview that you've created. And I think that's kind of a human nature thing more than it is a political party thing. I've noticed that on both sides. Um, The fake news thing is definitely more on one side than it is the other. But I've noticed, especially in the past couple of years, and that this might just be because I've matured a lot in college and I'm noticing it now, um, or it may be a new thing, but it's just a real tendency to call out things that you don't agree with as fake. And I think that's what has contributed to a lot of the divisiveness in politics, in journalism, in the world, is just this idea that people are literally not allowed to have another opinion other than your own. And if they do, they are just wrong. And I think that without sounding like an apologist or you know like a false moderate it's just kind of like you really do have to listen to what other people have to say and hear where they're coming from before you just completely cancel them or discredit what they're saying because there really is no way to learn about the perspective of someone else if you don't listen to them and if you immediately discredit what they're saying or what they're reporting as false right and that got kind of ranty but it's just i I I just have a big problem with when people will immediately kind of block someone out if what they're saying doesn't fit into the narrative that you created with for yourself. I just think it's very illogical and doesn't really contribute to any kind of good ongoing dialogue politically, societally, in any respect. Before we continue with Two Writers Sling and Yang, quick word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Jeff Perlman and I'm here with Casey, my daughter. I'm not your daughter. What? If I'm your daughter, tell me three things about me. You're 11. I'm 15. Your favorite color is pink. I hate pink. You have a cat who brings you joy every single day and sleeps on the edge of your bed. Her name was Miss Pawpaw. She died in a tragic bass fishing accident. Thanks for bringing up a dark memory, Dad. Six months of therapy down the drain. Hmm. You love 503 sports? I do love 503 sports because I'm a 15-year-old pink-hating high school kid with a dead cat who's all about throwback jerseys, hats, and t-shirts. That's why I go to 503-sports.com all the time to get my fix. And your favorite TV show is Mork and Mindy. I don't even know what that is. So we're, uh, we're here at Chapman, and I'm an adjunct journalism professor and the advisor to a student newspaper. And I feel like if I'm being honest, and I can be honest, like uh, the journalism program here has its strengths and its weaknesses. What should a student journalist or an aspiring journalist who's a student at a college 
expect from a, from a journalism program? And I, I mean, what, what do you think you got here and what do you think you didn't get here? Well, if I'm being honest, most of what I learned during my time here came from my peers and most recently my internship, which has only been my senior year. Mm-hmm. But a lot of You intern at Dateline, I should say. I do, I do. Uh-huh. Um, and it has been a wonderful experience. But a lot of what I've learned in terms of real world experience has come from that as is to be expected. But in terms of student journalism, you know, I really learned pretty much everything I know about how to write a story besides what already came naturally to me from my peers at the Panther when I was just starting. And they were wonderful teachers and I am so grateful for everything that I learned from them and all of the skills that I'm leaving with, but I kind of think it's unacceptable that that's where I learned those skills. Um, I really didn't feel like there was much support for the level of excellency I wanted to aspire to. Why do you think that is? I just felt like the classes were almost, I don't know how to put it, it's just that they weren't really at the level of the journalism that I wanted to do. Like, there's a lot of magazine classes, there's a lot um, of classes that are geared toward producing content for digital websites, and it's all just very gloss over, almost quick and dirty reporting, and it's not really what I was interested in and what I wanted to learn. Yeah. I actually think we make a mistake. Like, I think um, there's an idea nowadays, I mean, I've been in some of these meetings with different people, where... How do we teach kids journalism in 2019, right? And the takeaway often is, well, a lot of social media, a lot of website, blah, 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 blah. And, and one of my arguments always has been like, I actually think if you want to teach journalism the right way, you teach it the same way I learned it in the 1990s, which is deep digging reporting, getting your facts right, knowing how to develop sources, cultivate sources. I actually think that stuff goes farther now than it used to because it's more rare than it used to be. So if you can write a great, great news piece, it's more valuable now, if anything, because everyone out half the people are getting it wrong on Twitter. And if you're the one who's getting it right and providing context and details others aren't providing, I think you stand out as a superstar. I think anybody can learn how to use Twitter, but if you don't know how to write a lead or how to fact check your story or how to adhere to journalistic ethics, that's not really much use, is it? It's just kind of teaching extraneous tools and dancing around what actually needs to be addressed. And I think that's one of the problems I had is that all of the classes that I'd heard about, and I, you know, I have to qualify by saying that I kind of dipped out of the journalism program at Chapman pretty quickly after I started to see some things that I didn't like. Um, But just from what I've heard from my peers, it's just dancing on the surface of what really does need to be taught. And I know that a lot of the writers and editors that come in to, to the Panther you kind of have to have a lot of natural talent already and then we teach you what we can teach you Mm -hmm. but there's really not a whole lot of support or additional I don't know how to put it there's not there's not really a whole lot of support or supplemental stuff going on in the journalism department right I can tell you this now that you're graduating I think sometimes I struggle with millennials right and uh, you know like small things right I sent an email Actually, you didn't respond either, but that's totally fine because we were going to do this today. But like, I sent, this is the last class. The day before the last class, I literally write an email to every single person in this class, give them their grade, tell them how much I appreciate them being in the class, talk about their strengths and weaknesses of their final paper. 
It's 11 people in the class, two wrote me back. Um, earlier this year, I did a class, ice cream with Sean Green, bought the entire class ice cream. Number of people who thanked me from that class, you were one of them at least, maybe three. Today, I bring in pizza for the class, final class, right? Number of people who thank me, maybe four. Like, am I just being an old, I'm actually being serious, am I just being an old kind of get off my lawn guy when I say that like, there's something a little dissatisfying sometimes that I see? Is it just me? I almost, this is kind of a cop out, but I almost think that everything is so fast paced today. Mm -hmm. People have so much coming at them all the time, forever from their families, from their professors, from their peers. It's just a lot of pressure from so many different directions. Right. And it's not necessarily that life is harder, it's just that life is a lot more public and life involves a lot more culpability to like different people, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think that people almost are always on to like the next thing in their heads. Like I know that's how I get sometimes is when I'm in a class, I'm like thinking about what I have to do next and the other 10 things I have on my schedule for that day and what I'm doing tomorrow and how many days is it before Saturday again? And X, Y, and Z. And I think that sometimes I forget to be like very present in the moment and engaging with the people who are already around me. And I think it's, that's not necessarily a criticism. I just think it's can be sad, but I don't, I don't think you're being maybe a little an old fart maybe a little no because i mean it frustrates me too when people don't say thank you or don't respond to emails i'm like it takes two seconds of your time right just do it right but everyone being online all the time you know figuratively and literally it's like you have to be on all the time no matter where you are i think that contributes to almost like a weird dissociation like you're there but you're not because you feel like you have to be presenting this like version of yourself that's perfect all the time and it's almost leads to like a not fully being there kind of syndrome, if that makes sense. Do you ever feel like you're being serious, like you as an aspiring journalist, do you feel more like you're coming along at the right time or the wrong time? And what I mean is, would you rather be graduating with me 25 years ago and entering a world where every morning someone's getting the newspaper at the end of their driveway? Do you ever look back at that, the crowded newsroom with the million people and the, the click, 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 and do you ever look back at that and think I'm coming along at, the, at a bad time for journalism? or? Do you look at the speed, uh, the amount of voices, uh, the fact that you can make your own podcast, your own website, blah, 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 and think, oh, this is a great time for being a journalist? I think at the risk of being ambiguous, again, I think it's a little bit of both because I know when I was little, I watched the movie um, His Girl Friday with, have you ever seen that? No. You need to. His Girl like, Friday? Yeah, with Cary Grant. It's about like these two journalists in the 1940s and it's just a lot of heels clacking and typewriters clacking and you know, good old newsroom stuff. And I know that was one of the things that really made me want to be a journalist because I liked, I don't know, I just, something drew me to the atmosphere. And so there's a part of me that yearns for, like you said, like the crowded newsrooms and the, you know, hacking things out on computers that aren't really what we have today. And there's a part of me that wishes I had been born in a different era. But I think what's so important about journalism today and always, and I don't know if there's anything that's kind of pro or con about it. But I think that what stays the same about journalism is that to a certain extent, your job is to tell people what's happening and they, for the most part, believe you. And that's a lot of responsibility. And so I think it makes me excited to go into journalism today because I know that for the most part, that's still true. People still pick up the New York Times or open it on the app on their phone yeah. and they read it and 
they trust the people who are writing the stories to say X, Y, and Z are the facts, and they sit back in their chair and go, okay, I believe you. And I don't think that ever changes, right. whatever the medium is. And I think it's really the job of journalists going forward to uphold those ethics and uphold those standards because that is really the responsibility of journalism. It's not about whether you're picking up it up in a paper or scrolling through an app on your phone or using a website. It's about taking something at face value because you trust the source that it comes from. And I think that's what's so important to me about journalism. Your, uh, your staff this year, oddly, was all women, 100% women. It's um, totally weird the first time you enter a room as an advisor and it's just all women students. Not weird for any bad reason, weird because you just kind of expect at a school that's relatively diverse gender-wise, one or two men, but all women. Um, why do you think that was? I really have no idea. That was just, I had very few men apply to staff and the reason the people that applied weren't hired is because they weren't the best fit for the position. No reason other than that. Mm. But it's given us a very unique perspective, especially with this year being really big for the Me Too movement and the whole Brett Kavanaugh issue. (laughs) Um, And so we've had a really unique perspective on that coming from, it's, you know, nine different editors who have experiences of women in this world. And so that gives us a really unique editorial voice when we're writing more opinionated things like our editorial. We get together every Friday and we talk about our opinions and we make a list of our three points for our editorial. And I think it's a little more pointed than it would be if there had been any men on staff for certain editorials. Like I mentioned, we wrote an editorial about the Brett Kavanaugh hearings and we really just kind of went for it because we all shared a similar perspective and a similar opinion. And I don't know, it's been a really unique experience. I don't know that I would say if it's good or bad, but it gives us a very interesting perspective. I think you had a great staff. All your staff was great. No, they are, they're fantastic. Yeah. But not just because they're women. You know what's weird? It's kind of like, I just thought of this. You're like, um, you're gonna leave here, you're gonna go to a new job. You're basically like the star college wide receiver who all of a sudden finds himself in the NFL and he's like just trying to cling on to a team. Like, I remember being done with being editor of the college paper. And like, you know, you have a staff and you're putting out a paper every week and you're in charge and blah, blah, blah. And then it's over and you're just not anymore. Do you, do you, uh, you think there's going to be any adjustment to not running the Panther? Yeah, because I love being the boss. Yeah. <laughs> so I really like being in charge. I really like calling the shots. Um, it can be hard sometimes, but I really like to have the final say on things, especially if it's my work. And I think that's one of my favorite parts about being editor-in-chief is if I write something and I don't want a certain thing in it to be changed, I can be like, nope, it's not changing. Right. And I, I think that knowing that I'll be, a, for lack of a better term, like at the the bottom of the pole when Scrub. I leave. Yeah. yeah. It's And I've, I've thought that for the past four years. I've been thinking about, oh, you know. And that's, I think, back to your earlier point about having an ego as a college newspaper editor I think that's why I never let myself get to that point is because I knew that it would only be a matter of time before I got back out in the world again and I was just like nothing right and so it's been fun it's been great it's been a wonderful experience I would not trade it for literally anything I don't know if I would have stayed at Chapman if it weren't for the student paper right but I'm ready to let go I'm really excited to see what the staff does next year but 
I don't feel any sense of like trying to still grasp onto control or like I don't want to go because um, I'm just so proud of everything that we've done this year that I genuinely can't wait to see what happens next year and I don't really feel a sense of that I'll be missing out. I remember after graduating um, seeing the newspaper the next year and seeing little changes and being like telling myself it doesn't bother me but being slightly bothered for no good reason except the fact that I was editor the year before you know wait what are they why are they doing that why are they doing that why, why are they doing that and then after about five issues, I kind of just moved on with my life. But I remember having that feeling. I'm sure I will because I'm a, a control freak at yeah. the end of the day. Yeah. And I think that's what makes a good editor. So I'm sure I'll kind of peek on the website next year and be like, what? But that's the beauty of a college paper is the leadership changes so quickly that there's a lot of opportunity to, for the paper and the staff to grow. Have your four years flown by? Is that... A cliche or two. No, yeah. it's very true. I was talking about the other day about how it feels like it's been like a million years and it also feels like it's been four seconds. That's kind of how life is. It's just, and I know, yeah, I hear that from 20 different people 20 times a day. Like, don't, you know, don't wish your life away. And yeah, you, you really do. You just kind of will like, you're super anxious for when you turn 16 and when you turn 18 mm -hmm. and when you turn 21. And now it's all kind of starting to feel like I'm, you know that feeling when you, you get when you're going, like you're in a vehicle and it's going too quickly and you feel like almost your stomach is kind of left behind? Mm -hmm. That's how I feel a little bit about life right now because I'm very excited and I can't wait to graduate and I can't wait to get out into the real world, but it also feels like I'm on a train and everything's just going by so fast and all I can see is like blurs of green and blue from the sky and the grass and it feels like I wish I had the ability to pump the brake, but I know I can. That's kind of what makes life exciting. Is I have a theory. I can't pump the brake. I totally get it. I actually have a theory that, like, um, the reason time goes fast is because it is fast. Like, we always will be like, wow, that year just flew by. Well, it flew by because if you think about the span of a day and how quick it is, it's just a collection of days. And then one day you blink. I told you this earlier today. I'm walking across campus. Some guy's handing out bottles of water. He's handing them out to every student. Hey, man, hey, hey, hey. And then he offers one to me and he goes, sir, would you like a bottle of water? And one day you wake up and you're a sir or you're a ma'am. It's the weirdest thing, I swear to God, because like I'll be advising you guys and I'll be sitting there in the room and I don't, I don't, you don't think of yourself as like this like 47, like it just doesn't make sense. And you're going to see it's the craziest, it's kind of heartbreaking, it's kind of great. It's just blank. I know. It's just, it's. I was always afraid of getting older when I was little, mm -hmm. and I still am for some reason. I think it's just yeah. like, I don't know. It's Here's a weird thing. This is the truth. One day, it's always the other people who are the older people. You're Rebecca. You're in school. You're in elementary school. Mom and dad or whoever are the older people. You go to high school. The teachers are the older people. Here you are in college. Me. I'm the older. Uh, he's 46. He's the older person. And then one day... It just happens. One day, you're, you're the young dad with kids, so you're still the younger person. Your kids are in preschool, you're still the younger people. And then one day, you just wake up and you're no longer the younger person. It's the weirdest freaking thing ever. Well, no, it's true because I remember coming to campus when I was a freshman and seeing all the seniors and I was like, man, they're so old. Right. They probably have everything together. They know what they're doing. And something funny that I've realized this year is that like, no one really does. No one. No, no one really knows what they're doing, yep. ever. Or at least, like, half the time. Oh, yeah. There's, I feel like there's at least half the time for most adults where they're like, what? Oh, yeah. Life is just a series of figuring things out in a row. I will tell you. I can tell you factually. P 
people will email me, right? I'm not saying I'm anything, but people will email me and be like, hey, Mr. Perlman, I love your books. Is there any way you'd be willing, blah, 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 right? And for some reason, from their vantage point, you're super busy and you would have no idea who they are and blah, 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 like all this stuff, right? You're just trying to unclog your toilet and get your kid to school and like, it's all bullshit. Like, it's all like mirage, you know? So, yeah, someone called me Miss Glazer in an email a couple months ago, and that doesn't happen very often, but sometimes when, like, young writers mm-hmm. reply, it'll happen. And I was just about flipped over my chair. Mm-hmm. I was like, I didn't even eat breakfast any of the days this week. Right. And now you're Miss Glazer. I haven't done laundry in two weeks. Right. Like, I'm still trying to figure out how to pay my taxes, and someone's calling me Miss. It right. just feels very, like, mismatched. Yeah. But. Give it ten years. Exactly. <laughs> You'll see how fun that is. Exactly. And I think I've just realized and come to terms with the fact that that's how it's always going to feel. Mm-hmm. It's always going to feel like things are going by a little bit too fast, and it's always going to feel like you're in a small pond, and it's always going to feel like something's not quite right. But what's comforting is, like, that's how everybody feels. Right. No, but nobody's like, yeah, I 100% have it going on, and I have everything together, and I know what's up. Right. No one feels that way all the time. Right. I agree with that. Well, you've had a great year. I remember when I first met you, you and the other editor, Jamie, the editor from the year before in Starbucks, two years, two years ago. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm bringing her back. I'm like, who is it? You know, and like, she? very quiet, kind of guarded, you know? And like, uh, I just think you, people always say this, I, I'm excited to see what you become. And I'm really proud of you. Like, I just think you've done great work. I really do, like, great work. And you've been a great editor. And it's been like, you've made it a joy to, I mean, I haven't advised very much, but we've made it a joy to kind of sit in <laughs> on these things. <laughs> so um, thank you for doing my podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me. And in terms of you not advising, you have given countless tidbits of advice that are worth a lot all put together. And What not to do. I don't, yeah, I really don't think the paper would be what it is if it weren't for your input. Because you, I'm, earlier I was talking about taking risks and like just kind of going out there. And that's not really who I am. Like you said, very guarded typically pretty quiet I don't really talk that much until people get to know me and I really don't like to take risks and I really don't like to put myself out there but I kind of realized midway through this year that that's really a big component of journalism Mm -hmm. and it can't all be transcribing and writing in the comfort of your own room some of it has to be uncomfortable and sometimes it has to get you yelled at and I think your advice has been a big part of what pushed me to get to that point and just be like you know what fuck it that's so funny. I'm like the worst advisor in America. I'm giving the advice. Like when I was coming up, the advisor was like, you just got to be really careful. And I'm like, come on, go for it. Go for it. Go for well, it. Well, I think you're <laughs> the perfect counterpoint to someone like me or last year's editor in chief, Jamie, because we're both very like, you know, ducks in a row. Like this is how things have right. to be. And if they deviate from that, then it's not good. And right. everything has to be, we're like very type A. And I'm like, where's the April Fool's issue? Like, where's on. the April Fool's <laughs> issue? <laughs> so I think that's like been a great counterpoint to you know, my perspective, because I do tend to be more like reticent to take risks. And I think it's important to have someone who encourages you to be like, no, there are some things that you really just have to kind of jump in feet first and do. Right. Well, thank you. Thank you. I want to thank today's guest, Rebecca Glazer, for joining me on Two Writers Sling and Yang. You can follow Rebecca on Twitter at Rebecca Glazer. That's R-E-B-E-C-C-A-H-G-L-A-S-E-R. And read her work in the Panther Chapman Student Newspaper. This podcast is sponsored by 503 Sports, kings of the throwback sports merchandise. You can visit the website at 503-sports.com. One can listen to Two Riders Slinging Yang on Apple Podcasts and Google Play and Spotify. And reviews are always appreciated. Music is by the dazzling MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me. And remember, keep writing.